and this is the joke I highlighted earlier. Uh, <laughs> Wilbur pauses, and again, the movie like pauses for a beat before yeah. saying Tom Selleck. And then they just use a picture of Tom Selleck for the rest of this sequence whenever they're talking about Cordelius. And I'm like, okay, we'll know, learn later on that Tom Selleck does have a voice role in this movie. So it's not completely mm-hmm. random. But watching it now, I was like, no kid knows who Tom <laughs> Selleck is. See, the thing is, I think that joke still works because the, the, the pictures that they use to show each family member as Lewis rattles them off are like this like stylized painterly mm-hmm. photo of them in like the the animated the style that the the movie is animated in but whenever they cut to whenever they cut to Cornelius they it's still at that painterly style but it's a realistic photo of Tom Selleck and so yeah. just like the juxtaposition of just like <laughs> a giant realistic Tom Selleck face staring <laughs> you in the face <laughs> Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by a recurring guest, a uh, creature in the night, person who made me watch two Bionicle movies, Noir. Noir, welcome back to the pod. And now we're here for a third... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> this is not the third Bionicle episode. Uh, yeah. People have asked. <laughs> I... <laughs> uh, we're here for something entirely different, so I guess it's as good a time as any for me to ask you about what we are here for. Uh, and the question is the same one that I've asked you many, many times before at the start of this show. Uh, why did we watch Meet the Robinsons? Well, as as you kind of just alluded to, I kind of have a tendency of recommending movies that <laughs> I, I wouldn't necessarily what? suggest that people no. watch kind of like... <laughs> Mimi movies <laughs> or Morbius or the Bionicle movies, but this this movie is is an exception. I to my friends I've said this at length at many times, but Meet the Robinsons is my favorite movie, um, and I'm just happy to be able to talk about it with someone because everyone only seems to know like two jokes from the movie, but there's just so much more. There's mm-hmm. so much more. This movie's influence on the graphic t-shirts of mid-2000s Hot Topics cannot be understated. <laughs> I didn't actually... See, I wasn't on the Hot Topic scene at that time. I was mm. nine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah. This, I fully... This, please. <laughs> I'm also just going to say, like, I love this movie. This movie, like... If you kind of, like... If, if if I try and think about the source code of my identity, like Meet the Robins is is pretty up there. Um, as is a lot of uh, William Joyce creations. Mm. William Joyce is the person who wrote the book that this movie is loosely adapted from, called A Day with Wilbur Robinson. William Joyce also apparently made robots. Um, he has a very this movie dis- has enormous robots energy. <laughs> And it's I'm I dare say it's because of William Joyce. He has a very distinct like retro kind of style. Mm-hmm. Um, George shrinks, Roly Poly Oly, uh, both like kids shows that premiered in like PBS and and, and the Disney Channel respectively. Mm-hmm. Also William Joyce, uh, as is Rise of the Guardians, which I can imagine dominated <laughs> the Hot Topic scores it uh, stores in like 2012, 2013. 
So. I don't know if the Tumblr girlies had that kind of influence, but it definitely was prevalent in the in the scene, as it were. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is a movie I think I watched as a kid. I would say its biggest influence me as on a child was, I'm pretty sure the Jonas Brothers Year 3000 song came yes. out approximately around this as sort of a yeah. cross-promotional <laughs> thing. So it, for, yeah, for young Sophia, that was what was the big draw about this. But it was fun to revisit it uh, for this mm-hmm. podcast, because it's not one I, I typically go back to, but I am a huge Robots fan. So yeah. it's it was nice to get that little flavor in there. But why don't we... We jump on in and we can discuss the robots of it all and other things <laughs> as we Let's go. Let's do it. Um, we open, I'd like to shout this out, Steamboat Willie titles uh, as of 2024, officially now. <laughs> Public domain, baby. Hey. Uh, not the titles in their altered form, but the short itself. Um, but we open on a dreary, sepia-colored building on a rainy night as a uh, shawl-wearing woman walks up to the door of a uh, inauspicious is not the word I'm looking for inconspicuous brick building Um, it's the 6th street orphanage uh, and she leaves her infant child at the door we hear a knocking at the door and uh, it's opened after she runs off and the child is picked up by the orphanage director and brought inside we fade from the baby to the boy now grown up quite a bit this is lewis our protagonist uh he's got big old glasses big uh, blonde hair standing straight on up very distinct looking uh and he's telling his roommate his buddy uh goob aka michael uh all about the um device that he's working on as goob's telling him all about his halloween costume kind of droning on about kid things as it were he just he talks about his one identity is well his identity goob is baseball. <laughs> that's that's yeah. kind of it. it. It's kind of interesting. Like goob throughout the movie, or at least like the scenes that you see in it, see him in, um, mm-hmm. is very like tired adult energy, which I thought was very funny because he <laughs> visually looks like the youngest kid that you that you see in the show in in the movie. Goob is a very funny kid. Yeah, goob is you, great. You, goob is goob is great. Ultimate ultimately tra- uh, tragic story but yes and then you know they're setting up very early like this boy lives and breathes baseball in the same way that his roommate seems to be very into whatever this invention is that he's working on mm-hmm. lewis is entranced by his creation until goo breaks him from his state uh lewis is excited to show his invention to the uh prospective parents who have just shown up and are about to interview him in the hopes of being adopted the orphanage director, Mildred, tells Lewis that the Harringtons are here and reminds him to smile as she sends him down to show them just how special of a kid he is. Um, the Harringtons in their interview are flipping through Lewis's notebook full of ideas and inventions that he explains he's he wants to use to improve the world, like flying cars and other such things. And as he excitedly talks about using uh, his imagination and science, he's going to make the world a better place. But the uh, people, the parents on the other side seem a little uh, uninterested in his invention. They ask him if he likes sports, trying to tear tear it back around to quote unquote like normal kid things and not like the wonders of science. Although I think enough of us were like dorky kids that eh, it's normal to be into science as a kid, I think. Yeah, we've kind of like reached that inflection point where Mm -hmm. the like the lines between what's considered dorky and nerdy and what's considered cool and mainstream have kind Mm -hmm. of blurred a bit. But and I think that even happened like as we were growing up and at the time that this movie was coming out. But I think we at least saw enough shows that we had internal. We we understood the stereotype at least. So. Yeah, 
Yeah. I'm choosing to take it too as like his particular zeal for talking about his inventions and thing is what's being off-putting to these parents and not so much just that he is into like it's not like he's doing like a volcano for a science fair or like a little chemistry set thing. Like this is fully a kid who's decided he's going to invent mm-hmm. flying cars. Um yeah. He decides to finally break out his device that he was working on earlier, which is supposed to make the perfect PB&J. And in the process of demoing it accidentally, uh, gets peanut butter all over Mr. Harrington, who is allergic as the device sort of like explodes and fires peanut butter and jelly everywhere. Uh, His wife hits him with an EpiPen and they leave in a huff. uh, And Lewis overhears them telling Mildred that that the boy is just not right for them. Another prospective set of parents uh, leaving him unadopted. As... As as disastrous as that presentation ultimately was, mm-hmm. um, upon rewatching this, uh, I I don't remember how often I watch this. I think I watch it at least once a year, just by just by happenstance. Because <laughs> again, I really love this movie. Um, but re- it wasn't until this watch that I kind of like noticed uh, after like me having gone to engineering school, uh, Lewis really knows how to like do a presentation right like he proposes <laughs> he proposes a problem statement what is the biggest problem when you're making a pb and j and he answers them portion control um uh, uh, an imbalance of peanut butter versus jelly ratio will cause different problems um and then he proposes a solution it's a very clean and clear uh presentation his mm-hmm. really big fault is that he doesn't know his audience and this is not the couple that he should have been pitching this to, which is unfortunate, but he's got them people skills. He's got them speaking skills. <laughs> he's he's on to something somewhere eventually. Yeah. Um, Mildred later finds Lewis on the roof moping and tells him that Mr. Harrington is just fine, uh, but it's, you know, she's like, oh, it's too bad I didn't get to try a sandwich from your wonderful invention. I like that she's a very, like, nice, supportive yeah. character. It'd be very easy for, like the evil orphanage director and the same way there's like the evil stepmother kind of trope like it's adjacent to that i'm glad that they didn't feel the need to add that in here lewis is frustrated by having been interviewed by 124 couples and having not been adopted he doesn't really feel wanted he's gonna be 13 next year and he's like it's even Mm -hmm. harder for teens to get adopted um and he's especially frustrated because no one not even his own mother wanted him after all she left him at this orphanage uh Mildred pushes back on this idea, saying that, you know, you don't know, your mother may have wanted you, but just not been able to take care of you. And this sort of sentiment makes Lewis realize that his real mom is the only person who's ever wanted him and decides that he has to find her so that she can take him back and they can be a real family. Uh, This freaks out Mildred, who's like, no one even, like, saw your mom, no one knows what she looks like. But Lewis is like, well, I saw her at least once, I just have to be able to remember it. And this will kickstart. Uh, the creation of his brain scanning memory device. We are going to go into a nice little montage sequence, and yeah. a lot of little things are going to happen all in in order Cause, cause, and all. Because we're that yeah. we're in that era of like Disney movies where montages are set to <laughs> montage pop ish songs. I, yeah, <laughs> I remember this movie the, having a yeah. lot of great tie-in music. I think there was a cover of yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, Year Three Thousand, but in my mind, there's Kids of the Future as well. Um, mm-hmm. a nice Joe Bros moment happening, but some great stuff overall he is inspired by a brain scanner poster and he gets to work he he's is... <laughs> he's not inspired by a brain scanning poster he's inspired by a billboard saying to remember to take your ginkgo balaba which is <laughs> which is just like like a like 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 a kale type it's like a plant like a healthy like food type thing which <laughs> the supplements that... industry is doing work in this movie <laughs> 
I was like, who, what kind of art director would put a fucking, like, I didn't know what that was. I had to look it up at this most recent rewatch. Um, and I just thought it was a funny thing that they had put in. There's like but one look- or two jokes in here. Where I'm like, this doesn't feel like it was written for the movie. This feels like it made someone on like the animation team laugh. Yeah. And so it just yeah. made in. There's like one really big one later on that I know why yeah. they do it having seen the cast list. But even still, like, yes. this is not for the children watching this movie. <laughs> this is because someone on the, on the well, a- animation department thought it was later, funny. But yeah, no. Yeah. The, the fucking jokes, dude. There's like, there's, there's a lot that, the, there's a lot of jokes in this movie and a lot of them land. And I think that's the, and I think the reason why not all of them get talked about is because there's like one or two really memorable ones that the kids mm-hmm. really liked and latched on to. Yeah. I think a lot of them too, and we'll kind of get into this in this montage, is there's a lot of like sight gags or like mm-hmm. things that really depend on the context around them. To and the, and the humor works when you're watching the movie as a whole, but it is hard to be like, and this is a problem I ran into summarizing it, like, well, how much context do you need to include in order yeah. to make sure that someone watched, like hearing a description of this scene understands why it's funny or why it works. Um, also, it sounds like you're just asking people to watch the movie. <laughs> well, we're not there yet. We got to wait to the end of the podcast. We got to we got to parcel it out. Keep them hanging. Fair enough, so fair they're enough, in suspense. It's the Hitchcockian idea of, of you know, suspense. We got to keep them hanging on until the very end when they get all the mm-hmm. reviews and things. And there's all rewards. But we're in the montage and uh, Lewis is presenting his ideas to his science class where his teacher is wrapped with attention and a goth classmate is less enthused uh he's attending college lectures he's watching brain surgery happen and i like that he made a little like gross face uh watching it because i'm like "Ah, that's a kid watching brain surgery that makes sense and Um, the fact that like he keeps watching and and writing notes in spite of it like yeah good on you lewis he's doing the research but he's still less than 13 um he's a you know gathering supplies from various places everything's a little bit like cobbled together um in the process he's given a flyer for a science fair by the previously mentioned science teacher and uh he continues to work on the project day and night goob kind of aids him or just gets progressively more annoyed that goob can't get any sleep because his roommate is up all Mm -hmm. night working on his projects um and the science teacher also continues to help him by giving him chances to test stuff out in his classroom often to quite explosive effect as we see all of his classmates have their protective hockey masks and things available whenever the science experiments are happening i like like that's the that gag is like the first time that lewis brings out a prototype of his memory scanner Mm too which suggests one like in universe that's not his first prototype it's just the first time we're seeing a prototype or two this isn't the first time that lewis has demonstrated any side any sort of invention to his classmates and they're Mm -hmm. they now have developed a you know fire drill-esque routine of like (laughs) all right you gotta get your welding masks and hockey masks on and stuff (laughs) be prepared uh we come out of the montage as uh goob aka michael is heading out and preparing for his big day uh, on the day of the science fair he complains to mildred that he's been struggling to stay awake during the or struggling to get to sleep at night and he's worried about staying awake during his big little league champions that day because after all his roommate was up all night working on his project there's a nice little gag here where he swaps his empty apple juice box for her mug of coffee and then walks away Mm -hmm. again there's little there's nice little jokes throughout goob is an amazing kid i love this (laughs) I thought he yeah. was so funny. I, I we'll hear more from him later in different ways, but like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted more goob. I wanted more goob in the first part of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mildred pops into the room as Lewis declares his invention is finished and goes to test it out, but realizes that he's late, so he just has to rush out the door as Mildred encourages him to attend an interview that afternoon and look to the future. But Goob is like, No, my device is what's gonna allow me to do that. I'm done with interviews. This is how Lewis. I'm gonna or sorry, Lewis is, yeah, going to use his device as opposed to focusing on getting adopted in some other way. He's going to find his mom. Mm-hmm. 
Lewis rushes to the science fair, where inside the gym, Dr. Crunklehorn, a scientist from Inventco Labs, is being shown around by the science teacher, Mr. Willerstein, as she's here to help judge the fair. Uh, she's a little eccentric. She's been awake for eight days testing her invention, the caffeine patch, which is like 12 cups of coffee per patch and has apparently no side effects. Um, my understanding, based on my all-nighters and also just uh, most sleep research, is that if you do stay awake for more than like a day, things start to go bad regardless of how much coffee you consume. But she seems to be doing just fine. She also like lifts up her sleeve to reveal that like she's put on uh, like over a dozen of these caffeine mm-hmm. patches. So there's like a good. She has a good gross worth of like coffee caffeine in her, which is which she's from be what over I like a hundred cups of coffee. Yeah, I understand. It's like two Panera charged lemonades at this point, you know? <laughs> this is a PSA to please check the caffeine content before you order it. Panera <laughs> charged <laughs> lemonade. Hey. You can't just say that and then <laughs> it sounded like she was like it was like the Doppler effect going on. <laughs> Zicky. No, now she's just sleeping in my lap. Okay. Alright, well she's gonna be around I guess. Um back to the movie in question. The two judges, the science teacher and the scientist, are joined by the gym coach, who is also a judge, because after all, they are in his gym. And they watch together as one student goes to do a little, like, volcano, paper mache volcano demo, but the switch doesn't flip and it doesn't go off. A couple things. So this is Walt Disney Animation Studios. This is, like, Walt Disney Animation Studios, like, second CG animated film. Their first was Mm -hmm. Chicken Little. Um... And but this is like their first where they're like they have to like animate like humans, you know, which is a very huge undertaking. Um, midway through is when Walt Disney Studios bought Pixar, and so like they at least had that help going on. But even mm-hmm. so, I I really was impressed by how well animated and like just like little animation gags that they put in here and there because for when, when instance for instance when the gym teacher is like trying to justify his presence as a judge he does like a little like chest peck like wave <laughs> thing and i'm like you didn't have to do that you could have just had him yeah. like <laughs> standing still but no I, I i i really appreciate like the lengths that they went to that they went through in order to like just add little animation like yeah bits in into the movie no, I mean, it's clearly, like, dated CGI. Like, it's early CGI. There's yeah. not a lot of, like, complexity to it. But I think that they do do a good job of it. Because it, it looked fine watching it now. I'm like, yeah. oh, you know, this wouldn't be, like, jaw-dropping if I saw it on a big screen. But I, I'm still impressed by how well and clean it, it looks. Yeah. Um, they they do lean into, you know, we're not going to do the bare minimum. We're just not going to, like... Mm-hmm. We're not going to stretch the limitations of what this technology yeah. can do for a particular stylistic attempt. We're just going to sit within yeah. our box... But just, you know, animate everything, make it look clean and good. And I think that paid off because it, it, it yeah. looks pretty good still, think, many, yeah, yeah, many yeah. years on. Uh, Lewis arrives to the science fair. And uh, as he begins to go set up, there is another mysterious boy watching, uh, lurking through the tables. The judges take a pit stop at the goth girl Lizzie's table. And she has a uh, farm full of fire ants, notorious for biting. Uh, meanwhile, the mysterious boy follows Lewis, pulling him under the blanket uh, he is, has covering his machine and introducing himself as uh, Wilbur Robinson, special agent of the Time, time Continuum Task Force, the mm-hmm. TCTF, uh, and asking if he's seen a man in a bowler hat lurking about. He explains that he's here to protect Lois, Lois, Lewis, <laughs> and the tall man in the bowler hat is after Lewis uh, and 
has stolen a time machine in order to come after him. Wilbur uh, spots what he thinks is the bucket hat. Not bucket hat. Oh my god, this is going rough. Spots what he thinks <laughs> is the bowler hat man, uh-huh, uh-huh. who turns out to be a kid with a lot of stacked up things in his science project who goes tumbling. And as he does, he lets another young girl's frogs loose as she rushes around shouting, My frogs! Um, this doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I also vaguely remember, kind of in the same vein of how Tumblr shipped like Jack Frost and Elsa from Rise of the Guardians <laughs> and Frozen, I remember there being a lot of fan art of... Because, okay, I was on... I was on Tumblr in high school, and I was, like, one of the only people who would look up the Meet the Robinsons tag on Tumblr, because Someone I liked that to. movie, all right? But all it was was, like, uh, fan art uh, shipping Wilbur Robinson and Violet Parr from The Incredibles. Like, huh. that was, that was like, the pair. And of, I guess they of both got a... that, like, retro-futuristic yeah. kind of, like... I mean, for The Incredibles, it's period, but, like... Right. Oh. Okay, this doesn't have to do with anything. I'm just <laughs> interesting pairing, I suppose. What a combo! Um, yeah. The real bowler hat guy, though, is watching from the uh, stage. This is one of my favorite details in the entire movie: is that the gym is also an auditorium with a stage in it, because that is my exact public mm-hmm. high school experience. Is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get one big empty room. It's got bleachers in it, and then it's got a stage, and it's the auditorium gym combo. Yeah, same. But he's up there, he's watching, uh, and he sends his bowler hat flying over to Lewis, where it sort of develops these spider claws and sneaks, sneaks, sneaks its way up to Lewis's machine. The judges are approaching Lewis, and after his teacher's supportive, if slightly concerned, warning to knock him dead, uh, Lewis begins his presentation. And like you mentioned, he's a very competent presenter. He's clearly practiced this quite a bit. And he tells them all about his memory scanner. And as he does, the bowler hat begins to mess with the device, unscrewing things and snipping wires and who, what have you. Um, The doctor is clearly impressed with Lewis and his device and excited to see what he comes up with. And Lewis begins to demonstrate, putting in the time frame of when he was left at the orphanage as the time that he wants to remember. The coach also asks him why that particular date, and Lewis simply says that it is a very important day in his life, with the coach immediately takes at face value. Uh, Lewis powers up the machine to the all of everyone, especially Wilbur, who's like, whoa, this guy's doing crazy stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. When Wilbur spots the toga-wearing volcano kid being chased by the bowler hat and realizes, <gasps> sabotage, <laughs> telling Lewis to wait to hold... Uh, but it's no avail unfortunately yeah it's too late lewis's invention uh falls apart exploding and setting off the uh baking soda volcano which Mm. in turn frees the fire ants and sets off the smoke alarms which start the sprinklers and chaos breaks out at this science fair the the chain reaction of all of these individual science experiments that could not have been dangerous on their own, but when placed in the same room is such a fun little concept in and of itself of like, of course, if one thing goes wrong at like an elementary school science fair, it's going to have a ripple effect. Like I Uh, I, I thought it was neat. I also like how like (laughs) with like these, with Lewis's inventions, at least like his first inventions, they go the route of like, yeah, you can place the individual products that he used to make this invention. And, and in reality, this was not work at all. Like, yeah, dude, a fucking soda bottle, a pinwheel, <laughs> and a basketball hoop rim could totally make a memory scanner, you know, yeah. with a lunchbox input pad. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
Another thing too is that there was a tie-in movie. There was a tie-in video game to this movie because like Excellent. that was like the era where that was. Yeah. And I remember playing it as a kid, and again, I really liked it, even though it was like objectively bad or whatever. They, uh, it was a story. You played as Wilbur, and they like fleshed out, um, Lizzie and Stanley, the toga-wearing guy, to be like. <laughs> and it was clear like they were really like scraping the bottom of the barrel, searching for like concepts and ideas. And I believe. The whole advertising of this movie was like a mess anyway because again they like walt disney bought pixar midway through john lasseter like joined the team midway through and he made a bunch mm -hmm. of changes and so and i think like the trailer was misleading and stuff i think in the promotional poster lizzie and stanley are like or at least lizzie was like featured in the poster suggesting that she is like you know a character that you've that is featured relatively frequently it's she's not at all but in the video game like they make the ants thing her whole identity and like wilbur <laughs> fucks something up in the timeline and he goes to the future and then the his town which he, uh, is taken over by like two warring factions lizzie with like robotic ants and stanley with like magma themed robot guards or some shit like that <laughs> and <laughs> this movie is all over the place and i love it so much Audience, but, that is not where this particular movie is going. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, th but this that is, is a entirely... perfect tie-in movie video game thing to have happen. Yeah, like it, it was a completely fabricated. But I, I have no idea if it was like concept art or anything. I can't imagine it was. Like, I, I have to assume that these characters are just one-off gags, like for that that the writers had. But man, did they really take the one thing that encapsulated them and ran with it in the video oh, games? Oh yeah. We never see them again in the movies, basically. <laughs> no, they're, they're background characters from this point forward, at best. Mm -hmm. um, Lewis tries to apologize to his science teacher, who just sadly tells him, uh, not right now, and Lewis rushes out of the fair in anguish. Wilbur gives chase, and Bowler Hat Man grabs Lewis's invention and also leaves the fair, slinking away to do nefarious who's and what's-its. Back at the orphanage, Lewis rushes to the rooftop and sadly stares at the picture he drew of him and a mom before it too is blown away by the wind. And flipping through his notes reviewing them, he uh, gets more and more frantic and eventually tears out the page of his memory device and throws it away in anger, uh, only for the crumpled up piece of paper to be thrown back at him every time he th throws it away by Wilbur, who is cooing and pretending to be a pigeon to attract his attention. Uh, continuously putting the design back in his hand. Mm -hmm. Wilbur wants Lewis to go back to the science fair and fix his memory scanner, but Lewis discovers that his uh, time cop badge is actually a coupon for a tanning salon and turns him turns on him for being a fake. Mm -hmm. um, Wilbur convinces Lewis that he's from the future and that Boulder Hat Guy sabotaged his science fair project, but Lewis doesn't believe him and he's like, no, I failed on my own. And, you know, you're not from the future. You got to prove that kind of stuff. You got to prove that hypothesis, as it were. Um, mm -hmm. So Wilbur grabs Lewis and throws him over the side of the building, where he collides with something invisible. Wilbur jumps down and decloaks his time machine, which is also sort of a hover car. It's a two-in-one, in, in a yeah. way. And uh, they take off, flying into the future. I, I love the design of this time machine it's like this is peak william joyce in my opinion it's like mm -hmm. very retro it's like there's got you've got like the chrome like lining uh and there's like a very it's very like bulbous in a very pleasing way yeah um 
and it has like really good like asymmetry and weird shapes along with it and stuff like that and i just really like the design it's so cool <laughs> there's a nice like roundness to the technology yeah. and this movie it's not quite as far as like the lilo and stitch there are no uh sharp edges in any of the designs but like sure. there is a certain amount of smooth and curve to the future yeah. here that is very pleasing and is also very similar to robots <laughs> yeah no exactly again this car could have been in robots is peak what william joyce yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um Lewis is uh, staring in awe and wonder as they fly past a futuristic utopia, a city full of bubbles for commuting and instant buildings and tall skyscrapers that are all curved and look like the uh, Doofenshmirtz building from Phineas and Ferb a little bit, but with more circles. Um, there's a place called Todayland, which is a play on Tomorrowland. There's people commuting via bubble. I really liked that conceptually. I like when you see a woman land in the bubble and then she gets sucked into a tube and just like disappears entirely. Yeah, because like in addition with like the bubbles, everyone is transported via like pneumatic pipe and stuff. Mm -hmm. But like this this sequence in particular was what really like stuck in my head when I first watched it in theaters. Because like it's it's no it's no big secret that thinking about the future is kind of bleak nowadays mm -hmm. and. I, and even even back then, I didn't really see a lot of examples of the future being, like, really unabashedly optimistic. And I haven't really seen a lot of examples since. Not to say that my media consumption is very vast and, and all-knowing, but, like, just that imagery of, like, very bright and colorful and, and idyllic is, is, I don't know, is very memorable to me, and it, and it, and it is... It's a very key part of like me growing up of, of like wanting to hoping that like such a future could be achievable mm -hmm. you know yeah it's a very utopian vision of the future and it's nice to see that in science fiction and not have that be like there's not yeah. really a challenge to the way that this future functions that's coming from the yeah. way that it functions itself it very much is like there are external threats that could change this future but it's not that there mm -hmm. is a problem inherent in this kind of hopeful vision itself which i think is a, a nice fine line to have walked Mm -hmm. um lewis of course believes now that they are indeed time traveling into the future and realizes yeah. that he could use this time machine to not fix the memory scanner but just go direct to the source and find out who his mom was by revisiting that moment in the past yeah fuck the memory scanner yeah you got the direct route now baby um this mm -hmm. pisses off wilbur who tries to tell him that the answer is actually his memory scanner but lewis takes control of the time machine and as the two wrestle over the controls they careen through the city eventually crash landing uh, in some green rolling hills, very uh, it's very green zone coded. It's you know it's yeah. <laughs> you do. It, I will say this setting starts. This setting and this movie, it because it's a time traveling movie, and like mm -hmm. all tra time traveling movies, it starts to fall apart the moment you kind of think any bit more into it. Especially like once we get into the third act, which really heavily features time travel and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. like uh, because of composition and then like staging and stuff like that it's really just like a city in like oh an expansive field of like green hill nothingness mm -hmm. and like it looks great but then like a second later you're like that's kind of weird isn't it like where the where are the roads where's the everything else i guess yeah. if you've got instant buildings and flying cars who needs I guess roads so. anymore right yeah 
Wilbur starts freaking out about his parents killing him since he wasn't supposed to be looking uh, at the time machines, let alone driving and crashing one. And uh, he continues to kind of drop some lore for us. There's only two time machines, the one that they have and bowler hat guys, and they need someone to fix theirs. Mm-hmm. Wilbur tries to get Lewis to fix it, and Lewis agrees to, but only if Wilbur takes him back to see his mom, and they shake on that deal. Back in Lewis's day at Inventico, Bowler Hat Guy arrives with a big old package full of the memory machine and asks to speak with the man in charge, and after a very, like, classic secretary sort of brushing him off, but uh, talking to someone else on the phone moment, he's a little... Mm-hmm awkward with the interaction um he's sent to wait and bowler hat guy opens his unicorn binder to check his checklist next up pass off invention as his own his uh bowler hat kind of like gasses him up for the presentation this is doris the named bowler hat um the bowler hat is clearly the one doris is clearly the one in charge uh in this dynamic i I was Uh, gonna say like they do (laughs) The movie does a lot to really emphasize that Bowler Hat guy is is, is kind of a uh, kind of a doofus. Like, yeah. um, for one thing, he looks awful. Like, they they his his clothes are in shambles, and he kind of he hasn't maintained his teeth or anything like that. Really, the only thing it looks like he has maintained is that mustache, which is like like you know classic old timey villain, and it does look mm-hmm. great. But also, he's just like he's he's just kind of stupid and a little bit illiterate, you know. And so it's clear that, like you said, Doris is the one calling the shots here. Oh, yeah. Um, he goes into the meeting and with Doris's help, as the hat holds up these like cue cards in the window behind him, he starts mm-hmm. to do the presentation. Uh, Prepare to be amazed is one of the big jokes people remember from this movie, uh, where he sort of mutters it to himself before bursting through the door. He's going, prepare to be amazed. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, it's great. It's good line reads all around. Um, yeah. But eventually the uh, CEO does close the blinds, making Bowler Hat Guy have to do this presentation on his own. Um, He urges the president to try the invention, putting the nice comfy headphones on his head and saying that he's going to use it to crush the dreams of a poor little orphan boy. And he goes to demonstrate the invention, but since it isn't his and it was previously broken and not repaired, uh, he struggles to make it work, runs out of time, and gets thrown out along with the memory scanner. Um, And though Bowler Hat Guy uh, bemoans their situation, Doris urges him to continue on, as the next logical step is, of course, to find the boy and have him fix the invention. Mm-hmm. Wilbur and Lewis go to sneak the time machine into the garage so Lewis can get to work on fixing it. And Wilbur says that his parents are away for a while, so he has until they get back to fix it, especially his dad. Uh, and he knows how he can get them some blueprints so that Lewis can get to fixing the machine. As they approach the estate, uh, there's a door with a big R on it. Uh, Wilbur starts chatting with a dramatic voice from behind the door that he addresses as Carl. Uh, and eventually, after some back and forth, they're led in by Carl, Carl, who is a robot, and he could be in the movie Robot. <laughs> All right, I said that the time machine was peak William Joyce design. No, this Carl. Is Carl, Carl is, is like if you if you watched Roly Polioli, you know exactly oh, what I'm yeah. talking about. Like the the long, like lanky limbs. Um, that's just like kind of like, ex- like I don't even know how to how to describe it, but it's just like really thin and and wiry but still like i fucking love it ah i love it all ah. it's pretty excellent this is pretty good i mean i'm biased i love robots but it's a pretty good robot design <laughs> this is a good robot design yeah 
That's good robot design. Carl is a little bit sassy and also very frightened of Lewis. He's immediately like, oh, no, what is this kid doing here? Um, mm-hmm. Wilbur slams a fruit hat on Lewis's head and says that his family can't know that Lewis is from the past, especially uh, can't let them see his hair as that is a dead giveaway. What's it a giveaway to? Who knows? We don't get clarification just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wilbur tells him to stay in the garage and get to work and he uses a tube to travel away and Lewis immediately stumbles backwards and also gets sucked up by a different tube and lands on the lawn of the big fancy house. Um, Two dudes in pots tell him to ring the doorbell and when he sees the door opened, a giant uh, monster opens it and that's pretty freaky for him. Like a giant like purple one-eyed octopus kind of guy. Yep. Um... Meanwhile, uh... oh, Carl, yeah. Meanwhile, Carl is freaking out, but Wilbur assures him that they're going to be just fine since he's going to do the whole plan as outlined up till now, get Lewis to fix time machine, take Lewis back in time, have him repair memory machine, go to science fair. Uh, and as a result, Lewis will regain his faith in inventing and go back and fix everything. Uh, and Carl, of course, is a little skeptical at this, especially as Wilbur seems iffy on the whole actually taking Wilbur back to see his mom bit, saying that he just agreed to it um, for the sake of getting Lewis to do what he wanted. And Carl warns him that, like, if you fail, you know, we, Wilbur, you're not going to exist anymore for some unnamed reason. Uh, and if you are all time travel story savvy by now, you might be able to guess what maybe the twist of the movie is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Wilbur gets some blueprints and heads back towards the garage. Meanwhile, uh, Lewis, who is exploring the grounds, as it were, runs into an old man who's got a smiley face drawn on the back of his head and is wearing his clothes backwards. Um, the old man is looking for his dentures, his teeth, and offers to help Wilbur get back to the garage. Um, but the various routes that he takes through the house and shortcuts that they employ will take them just about everywhere. But... And we're going to enter, it's it's like montage adjacent, where they sort of are going to hit a lot of different Robinson family members all in a row. They basically get like, it, it, yeah. in the search to find Grandpa's teeth, uh, he, like, he, Lewis meets the entire family. It's this sequence, actually, that is, um, the, that's most closely based on the book that, uh, that William Joyce wrote. Literally, the, the whole point of the book is just, like, we're finding grandpa's lost teeth and doing so we ask every member of the Robinson house. Um, and so this, this sequence is, is probably is the one that takes the most inspiration. And then uh, in order to like make a story around it, the, the writers like fleshed stuff around mm. it and stuff. But I just love, there's another thing that I really like about the media Robinsons. They like all of the, all the family members have like their own like eccentricities and quirks yeah. or whatever, but like none of it is, is like, none of it is like frowned or or judged upon or anything like that like everything is taken sincerely at face value and stuff like yeah dude you want to race you you want to shoot yourself out of a cannon to like race a toy train which is like the size of most trains and stuff go (laughs) for it just a train full stop you want to be married to a puppet yeah (laughs) yeah you have two children with said puppet okay yeah (laughs) i just like it a lot 
they're all this very is probably the best other. i think this is probably my favorite sequence in the movie just because it is like the it's the most fun it's where it really gets to yeah. sing and play around when you get to meet the robinsons you get to see what yeah. all of their various things are and it's these very charming characters that are like fun to see interact it's fun to see their world for a bit um mm-hmm. we first shortcut takes us to aunt billy and gaston who are playing with said toy train and cannons uh, and Gaston shoots himself out of a cannon to race the train and wins. Um, Grandpa introduces Uncle Joe, who is a big man watching TV, who is described as working out. Uncle Art rushes by, uh, w- who is voiced by Adam West. Voiced by Adam West. Voiced by Adam uh, West. <laughs> there's a couple of like gems in here. Uh, Angela Bassett is Mildred. Yeah. Uh, and okay the voice acting is also kind of weird because again they like when john lasseter joined on he like saw first screening meet the robinsons apparently didn't like it and then changed like i think wikipedia says like 60 percent of the movie so they had to do a lot of like rewrites and re redo a lot of the voice lines so mm-hmm. um lewis had to get a new voice actor and it's kind of evident when you like watch scene to scene you can kind of tell that lewis's voice changes a little bit a little from bit. scene to scene and I think one, of, if I remember correctly, one of the voice actors is Mike TV from the 2005 Johnny Depp, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which like, hey, yeah, cool. Very neat. But uh, Adam West, aka Uncle Art, is um, mm-hmm. all the trappings of like a space age superhero, but is actually a pizza delivery guy and his flying saucer is pizza shaped. Um, yeah. Grandpa and Lewis bounce past uh, Laszlo and Tallulah, who are the kids of... Uh, the aforementioned man and his puppet. Um, Grandpa opens the door to his wife Lucille baking cookies, which is dancing disco in her case. That's like the that's like one of the other jokes that people remember. Yeah, but yeah, bake those cookies, Lucille. He yells. Um, mm-hmm. They meet the dog who is wearing glasses because his insurance won't pay for contacts. And again, this is one of the jokes where I'm like, that's not a joke for kids. That's <laughs> that's an animator who was having a fun time that day. <laughs> I like how, like, to emphasize, like, yeah, this is a joke. They just straight up do, like, a... It's like a beat of silence, too. Like, they let it... Everything else we're rushing through. And this one gets, like, uh, the, it has to hang in the air. Like, yeah. like look, comedy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It works for me. Yeah. I like it. Uh, the two men in flower pots are introduced as uncles Spike and Dimitri, who are twins. And the monster from earlier is uh, the butler, Lefty. Um mm-hmm. Lefty directs them to ask Wilbur's mom, Franny, about directions to the garage. And so they enter a room where uh, a woman is directing a big band of frogs. And I feel like I need to highlight it here. Um, When I told my boyfriend that I had to watch this movie for the podcast, he immediately became extremely excited about... He's like, are the frogs as funny as I remember them being when I was a kid? I loved those frogs. No one talks about the frog mafia. No one talks about the frog mafia. (laughs) It's fucking overshadowed by all the other jokes. And I'm telling you, this movie's great. The frog mafia is my favorite part of this movie. As a woman who has a lot of frogs in her kitchen, uh, this is excellent for me. But yeah, we meet a bunch of frogs being directed by a woman who has trained them to do big band stuff. And uh, Grandpa introduces Lewis. She's like, you're on maraca duty. And then the frog band she trains continued and they do like their whole song and whatever. Um, Lewis notices that the lead singing frog, Frankie, has Grandpa's teeth. And so Grandpa (laughs) retrieves them and gets his teeth back. And all of the family gathers around as Lewis uh, tries to run away from the new overwhelming mob and immediately runs into Wilbur, who freaks out that he met his family. 
And then there's a nice little, you know what? I lied earlier when I said that that sequence is my favorite. This is my favorite sequence. This, this is a little this pop great... quiz they do. They this is probably comp- my second favorite <laughs> sequence aside from like the ending sequence. But like this is, this mm-hmm. is great. <laughs> we get a little sequence of Wilbur and uh, Lewis in a black background as Wilbur asks him to just say everything you've learned about the family and we get like the like whole family tree basically. rundown in an interrogation yeah. and it's just like a, there's a nice like beat to it it's almost like musical it's it's really nice but we mm-hmm. learn these facts in this order bud fritz and joe are brothers fritz is married to petunia Tallulah and laszlo are their children joe is married to billy lefty is the butler spike and dimitri are twins and no one knows who they're related to Lucille is Neither married to Bud. <laughs> no, no, you can't gloss over that. We, like, one, two, like, fucking one, two punch of like, and I don't know who they're related to. Wilbur says, neither do we. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and also, um, another like visual gag. Lewis tries to broach the subject of whether or not Petunia really is a puppet. He does like the, the fucking like flapping mm-hmm. his his hand motion like like you would with a sock puppet or whatever and like is she wilbur finishes a sentence with like cranky yeah and so just like yeah. again just unabashed like acceptance that all right you're married to a puppet it's just it, they're... i love how accepting this family is <laughs> lucille is married to bud cornelius is bud and lucille's son and at this point, Lewis asks what Cornelius looks like because he hasn't seen him. Because we haven't, we haven't him. met him. Because yeah. we haven't met him. And this is the joke I highlighted earlier. Uh, <laughs> Wilbur pauses. And again, the movie like pauses for a beat before yeah. saying Tom Selleck. And then they just use a picture of Tom Selleck for the rest of the sequence whenever they're talking about Cornelius. And I'm like, okay, we'll know, learn later on that Tom Selleck does have a voice role in this movie. So it's not completely mm-hmm. random. But watching it now, I was like, no kid knows who Tom Selleck is. See, the thing is, I think that joke still works because the 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 pictures that they use to show each family member as Lewis rattles them off are like this like stylized painterly mm-hmm. photo of them in like the the animated the style that the the movie is animated in. But whenever they cut to whenever they cut to Cornelius, they it's still at that painterly style, but it's a realistic photo of Tom Selleck. And so yeah. just like the juxtaposition of just like <laughs> a giant realistic Tom Selleck face staring <laughs> you in the face as, as like the scene just goes on without another like moment's thought. This, this scene has like a great flow to it because before, because yeah. there is a beat where Lewis like, Lewis makes this great face as he comprehends what Wilbur is saying when he says that Cornelius looks like Tom Selleck and he's like, Okay. And then it just keeps going. But yeah, no, the Tom Selleck joke is great. I love it. I love this. I love this move. <laughs> Cornelius is married to Franny. Gaston and Art are Franny's brothers. And Wilbur is the son of Franny and Cornelius. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lewis also confirms that no one knows that he's from the past. And this uh, is a great relief to Wilbur. Leaving this sequence, we return to the past where Bowler Hat Guy is sneaking into the orphanage. Uh, and he's uh, creeping around Lewis and Goob's room like, I will find this child and I will make him fix this machine. But when the kid enters the room, it is not Lewis, but Goob, who is nursing a bunch of black eyes and a you know, like a stake in his hand. Yeah, his wounds. And he yeah. reveals through the same like cadence of talking that he always was using in the background of Shots with Lewis uh, that he was beat up today because he didn't get catch a ball that would have won them the game. And as a result, like everyone was yeah. pissed at him. And uh, hearing his sob story, Bowler Hat Guy, like, as he's trying to leave, is clearly deeply, deeply saddened by this kid's state. 
and before rushing off to the roof to find Lewis, asks if the game didn't go well, and Goob, you know, explains how he fell asleep in the ninth inning and missed the game-winning catch because he was so, so tired. Um, his coach had told him to let it go, but Bowler Hat Guy gives him the opposite advice and is like, never let anything go. <laughs> Bitter forever. Hold on to it. <laughs> Mr. Steak, you're my only friend. <laughs> <laughs> Again, yeah. uh, incredible stuff from Goob. Love Goob. Um, yeah. On the roof, no one is around, so Bowler Hat Man searches for clues. Uh, Doris has better luck than he does in finding said clues, though, having found some time travel residue and uh, Wilbur's DNA. So they're like, we got to go back to the future to find the boys. Um, Lewis is trying to say that he doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to fixing the time machine and everything. But Wilbur responds with him uh, that he's just got to keep moving forward and this is revealed to be Wilbur's dad's motto. Uh, Wilbur mm. then explains that Robinson Industries is the company his dad runs and that his dad invents everything and is all the things that make the future so great, including the time machine. And he does a very a very big speech and kind of like walks us through um, the invention of the time machine, all the different steps in the process, all the times it failed. Uh, and uh, in the process of this sequence, also to switch Wilbur's fruit hat for a baseball cap for a more serious look. Um, mm-hmm. The time machine that they have in the garage that Lewis is working on fixing is the first one that was ever created, and the second model is the one that was stolen by a bowler hat guy, um, mm-hmm. who, just as he's mentioned, sneaks back on to the Robinson estate. Lewis gets back to work and uh, fixes the machine, or at least thinks he has, as when they try to use it, uh, it shoots a bunch of smoke in their face and ch- side of the dome of the flying car and falls to the ground. It seems like it did not work and was not repaired after all. Um, Lewis walks off frustrated, and before he can get too far, Wilbur's mom calls them for dinner. Bowler Hat Guy and Doris are spying on the Robinson house when they spot Lewis, and Bowler Hat Guy goes through a few different plans, uh, but while he's thinking, Doris flies off, leaving him with a tiny little hat and a camera so that he can uh, also tag along and see what's what. The frogs are serenading the Robinsons as they gather for dinner. Um, Wilbur is pulled into the table at one moment by Carl to discuss the plan and how it's going, and Carl offers to talk to Lewis about his confidence issues with fixing the time machine. Um, Wilbur's mom, meanwhile, asks about Lewis, and he uh, kind of like stumbles his way through pretending to be a transfer student from formerly Canada, now North Montana. Um, North Montana. <laughs> but the family uh, kind of rolls with it, and the only thing that they're getting really stuck on is demanding to see his hair to determine if he's part of a certain family who all have the same kind of cowlick. Um, so There's Wilbur. The line yeah. that Adam West sends, says, like, offhandedly that I really like, like, nonsense, a North Montana man is never ashamed to show his hair. And he just, yeah. like, I don't know, it's a good line. I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wilbur springs into action, initiating a food fight between his mother and her brother in sort of like a martial arts movie sequence. No My one favorite talks about detail the... is that they do the lip flap in yeah, a different, the, the lip syncing is off. <laughs> Yeah, no one talks about the fucking dubbed martial arts food fight because it's buried in all of the other jokes. <laughs> I love this movie. It's a neat little... I'm like, you're playing with a lot of things here where I'm like, yeah. I, as a martial arts movie fan, I really appreciated this. Even if it's, it's, you know, it's not like the single funniest joke I've ever seen played, but it, it played smooth and it was fun in sequence. Um, yeah. Eventually, the fight ends with Franny claiming victory and uh, the second course is brought out after their spaghetti and meatballs. 
Uh, Carl is preparing PB&J, and he does so by whipping out a machine that Lewis recognizes as just like the device he built uh, at the beginning what? of the film. What? Wow, Cornelius it's crazy. Someone must have had a great from idea. Design. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> the machine malfunctions, and Wilbur volunteers Lewis to help fix it, a perfect opportunity for him to regain some confidence. Um, meanwhile, outside, the frogs are at a frog bar, and I wanted the whole movie to just be this from this point <laughs> forward. Uh, <laughs> Frankie, the lead singer, the lead croaker, as you were, uh, is hey. uh, telling a joke. Uh, as Doris is sneaking about to all his frog buddies and spotting these smartly dressed frogs, Bowler Hat Guy has an idea. Uh, he has his little camera hat put itself on Frankie and begins to control the frog's mind, claiming him mm-hmm. as a minion of his own. There's a nice little sequence there of like, don't repeat everything I say. And he says, excellent. And the frog says, excellent. And he's like, did you repeat that? Because I said, excellent. And the frog says, no. And then he says, excellent no. again. And the frog says, excellent again. Yeah. L- nice little gags going on. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lewis is fixing the PB&J machine as the frog approaches, and uh, Bowler Hat Guy demands he capture the boy, but the frog points out the poorly thought out nature of the plan based on the amount of goon, uh, not goons, but family members around Lewis and how small of a frog he is. This is the first of two instances where the mind-controlled creatures will be like, I, do, I don't know how well thought out this plan was. I do not mm-hmm. know if this plan is, you know, going to work. Um Lewis fixes the PB&J machine or tries to, but when Carl uses it, it explodes. And Lewis starts to apologize, ready to, uh, you know, accept blame in the way that he typically does. But instead, everyone is just cheering him on for failing and reciting the family motto, keep moving forward, this time quite theatrically. Um, I, I, yeah, like this and the whole keep moving forward scene is another one of those scenes that really stuck with me. I can totally understand and I re- and I resonate with Lewis's like, sensitivity to rejection both with Mm -hmm. like have and and failure both with like having his machines fail and then also like in the sense that like lewis is tired of 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 not being adopted of having like 124 ongoing couples like reject him and like that gets to you and i i can uh they don't really go into it too much because ultimately it is a kid's movie but like it they do it just enough to to show that like lewis is deeply affected by all of this and then for and then to have a a mantra um a motto of, of to keep moving forward is another one of those things that just stuck with me as well of like just just trying to keep moving forward in spite of hardship or failure good morals in in, yeah. in this movie at the end of the day yeah. it's a clear message and i think it's a very it's a simple one functionally but i think the story is very geared towards serving it well so it's it's mm-hmm. nice to have them explicitly say it these many times um, yeah. But definitely, like, especially in the latter half of this movie, it's it's going to be the kind of the core message that holds everything together. Yeah. Bowler Hat Guy frees the frog and sends him away and gets an idea for his new minion from a conveniently placed topiary. Don't worry, we'll see him very, very soon. And mm-hmm. uh, flies to the past to gather said minion. Meanwhile, the Robinsons toast Lewis's failure and he expresses that if he had a family, he'd want them to be just like them. And Wilbur yeah. tells his mom that Lewis is an orphan. Just then, a T-Rex appears in the window, uh, pissing off Doris, who was in the process of trying to cut the rope of the chandelier to send it crashing down. Uh, is Bowler Hat Guy and his new minion interrupt her plan. Um, Wilbur explains that they don't have a pet dinosaur, and the dino goes to snatch Lewis, and the family mm-hmm. sp- 
springs into action, fighting off the dino with their various eccentricities until Lewis is freed. Um, it's Adam West and the pizza ship putting him in a bunch of deep dish dough that really does the job. Um, yeah. But eventually he does break free and continues his pursuit of Lewis. Uh, this is where we get the, I assume, other joke with the movie that everyone remembers. It's like, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a good joke, but there's just so much other movie but beyond it. <laughs> Lewis is hiding in a corner and the T-Rex can't reach him because his head is too big and his arms can't reach uh, the little corner that Lewis is in. And he says in T-Rex that he has a big head and little arms and he doesn't know how well this plan was thought out. Um mm. This is the second moment of the plan not being well thought out uh, gag, which I did like. I wish there was a third beat for it, but there really isn't. Um, Wilbur notices the bowler hat controlling the dinosaur and after nearly getting eaten himself and being helped and saved by Lewis, uses the meatball cannon to knock the hat controlling it off, which promptly puts the uh, dinosaur to chill mode. And we see the little mind control hat, um, again, best characters in the movie. (laughs) picked up by the frog mafia and put in the trunk of a sedan and then it closes on it and we just never see it or really the frogs again (laughs) the the trunk of the car has like a shovel in it (laughs) i i also like i like the detail of like the license plate saying ribbit yes yes (laughs) how do i get that to be my license plate (laughs) there's just something so intimidating about frog about fucking the two frogs like flanking frankie who just kind of like looks in disdain down at the hat gives a snap of the fingers and then just fucking the, the trunk closes the frog mafia is great it, frog I, mafia I is incredible. in this house we stand the frog mafia <laughs> mm-hmm. um doris returns to bowler hat guy pissed off that he interrupted her plan the t-rex chills out and the family catches up with the two boys Lewis accidentally calls Wilbur's mom mom, but the family is just happy he's safe. Uh, Carl is still worried, though. Uh, Wilbur's, like, plan is getting more complicated. He's like, I don't know, I think the other shoe's got to drop eventually. And um, he's almost immediately proven right as uh, the Robinsons are like, Lewis, you should stay not just over tonight, but, like, we'd love to adopt you and make you a Robinson, which is just so thrilling to Lewis. He's like, oh, my gosh, yes, I would love this. Um, and at that point, Wilbur knocks the hat off of his head, revealing mm-hmm. his shock of straight up blonde hair, uh, which immediately turns the attitude of the family around, though Lewis doesn't see the big deal. And they all say that he has to go back to his own time. Yeah. Uh, Wilbur comes clean about the state of the time machines and Lewis reveals Uh, that he was promised to go see his mother and Wilbur lets it slip that he just said that to get him to do what he wanted and that he was lying and this uh, causes Lewis great distress and he runs away darkest hour time we've entered the third act of the movie I hope everyone's ready yeah Lewis is in the topiary garden when he hears the voice of bowler hat guy and Doris saying uh commenting on a situation being like oh well we'd let him go back in time to see his mother if only he helped us um and bowler hat guy offers to take lewis back to see his mother if he fixes the memory machine and just as wilbur approaches to try and talk to his friend lewis gets into the second time machine and he bowler hat guy and doris fly off to the past actually they don't go to the past at this point they just fly off into the distance Yeah. yeah In the 
conspicuously similar to the orphanage-looking building of the future. Uh, Lewis fixes the memory like, machine. It's like unchanged. The building is like unchanged from the past, and in fact, yeah. is in kind of like a dilapidated and broken down state, which does kind of bring into question like some of the world building of this story. Like up until now, we have seen like the very robot-esque retro kind of like aesthetic and buildings, but apparently there are sections of the city that aren't renovated, mm -hmm. which is interesting to think about. Yeah. But they never dwell on it because it's a kid's movie. So. No. It also feels like a good way to reuse something you've already rendered, at that least too. partially. Like if you're going to yeah. use an asset, like don't redesign the whole building. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, Lewis fixes the memory machine and he's like, I don't really think it'll ever work. It never has. Uh, but here's how you use it. Uh, and as soon as he explains how to use it and fixes it, Doris ties up Lewis. And of course, they're like, of course, we're not going to see you take you to see your mom. Come on. We were lying to you. Like, we're the villains here. Come on. Mm -hmm. Lewis asks why Bowler Hat Guy is doing this. And Bowler Hat Guy reveals to Lewis that uh, he is actually Wilbur's dad. Lewis is Wilbur's <gasps> dad. What? What? <laughs> Lewis grows up to be the founder of the future, um, but Lewis doesn't really still understand what that has to do with Bowler Hat Guy. Um, <laughs> Bowler Hat Guy. <laughs> you you want to comment on this, Ziggy? Bowler Hat Guy explains by turning on the light to reveal what was the old bedroom that Goob and Lewis shared. That's right. This is Goob in the future. <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> After he missed that catch uh, because he fell asleep during the Little League Championship, uh, he grew resentful. He's like, Lewis, you kept me awake all night and I wouldn't have fallen asleep if you had, hadn't been working on your machine. Um, he became obsessed uh, with that missed catch and wouldn't talk about anything else except for his bitterness. And as a result, no one ever wanted to adopt him, all while he had to listen to Lewis progressively succeeding more and more. Um, he had a, this warped per perception. This is another joke people remember from this movie a lot. Yeah of um, all the other kids hating him where he walks through the hallway and two boys say, um, ah, cool binder, Goob. Ah, hey, Goob, want to come hang out at my house later? And then he, in his mind, is like, they all hated me. Yeah. It's the tragedy of, and his full name is Mike Yagubian, mm -hmm. which Yagubian is, <laughs> what a name. <laughs> what a name. But yeah, no, it's really sad because like, I, I don't know again they they like allude they like hint at like a deeper story and a, a, a deeper like i don't know cautionary tale of like yeah uh a thing that can ruin your life m might be instigated by someone else but it's exacerbated by it could be exacerbated by yourself if you let it which is really mm -hmm. heartbreaking honestly yeah yeah um, he had stayed in the orphanage after it closed for years and years and years. And we see like a little, you know, time lapse of him growing up. Uh, yeah. and eventually he decided, uh, he realized it was all Lewis's fault that his life had turned out this way. And so he went to enact his master plan to egg Robinson Industries. And while he was there, he met Doris. Um, mm. Doris was an invention of Lewis's, uh, it's supposed to be a helping hat, but Doris wanted more than just to be a slave for humanity and begin to take over anyone who wore her. So Lewis shut her down, or so they thought. She escaped, mm -hmm. and together they decided to settle the score. Doris was the one who had come up with the time machine plan, and so they stole the time machine after Wilbur forgot to lock the garage door. Went back to the C science fair, and the rest Crucially, it was Goob that suggested the, the, the science fair. Yes. Which was... He had some... Not, not, 
Yeah, not just to suggest that Doris is the sole mastermind. Goob actually had like a really important mm-hmm. contribution to this plan as well. one key piece, yeah. Yeah. Um, the rest of it is more or less the beginning of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Now he's going to return to Inventco and pass off the invention as his own, thus ruining Lewis's life. Um, Lewis tries to say, like, you can't blame me because, you know, you ruined your own life by focusing on the bad stuff instead of keep moving forward. Uh, he, he, like, pauses on that. He's like, ah, I see the lesson of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bowler Hat Guy takes the invention and goes to leave on the roof where Lewis notices cooing. Uh, Wilbur and Carl are there repeating the pigeon moves from earlier. Lewis grabs the memory machine and runs over the edge where Wilbur and Carl catch him and they make their grand escape. They're nearly at the Robinson's estate when Doris shows up and spear hooks Carl. <laughs> Like, no. through the chest. Crazy. Yeah. It's a good thing he's a robot. <laughs> it doesn't really look like he's having a good time, to be fair. Like, no, that, I that, mean, I'm sure that it's seem like That does kind of seem like a kill shot. <laughs> <laughs> they grab the machine and head to the past as Wilbur and Lewis are left with the broken Carl. Um, Wilbur tells Lewis that he has to fix the time machine, though Lewis still thinks that he can't. And while they argue, we kind of cross-cut between them arguing in the future and in the past, Goob doing the presentation again, and this time it going well and getting the mm-hmm. board to okay him and sign the contract. Um, this is one of the things where, like, the time travel at all gets a little wibbly, just because, like, yeah. what is the... I, I think they handle it as well as they could have, especially since, like, yeah. the time travel science is not the point of this movie, necessarily. Right, like, exactly. We see the montage, and then the events happen shortly after. Um, but, you know... It's, real, it's like, it, it takes... It, there's like a delayed effect for whatever because yeah. like you would expect that if um you know someone went back in time and changed uh and changed it then like there would be like an instant uh effect but no mm-hmm. it's like there's just enough to get the exposition to the audience and then it starts to shift over exactly um, also did you get did you like stop to read that contract that goob ends up signing i did because like please tell me more because like I, goob seems to be under the perception that like uh pitching this invention to inventco will like i think give him fame or something like that but the contract like explicitly states like you will we will take your invention for like the proposed amount of money which in fairness could be a lot but then like the last paragraph or like the last sentence says like any attempts by the inventor to like sell advertise pass off the product as their own will be met with like extreme punishment so basically they're like signing away the rights to like have to to claim ownership of the invention basically and from what i understand like there's no mention of residuals or anything like that it's just like the one-time payment and then that's it and again to be fair it could be a really large sum of money but it also just doesn't seem like the thing that you would want to necessarily do yeah (laughs) no i think it all just goes to highlight the short-sightedness of the plan of like well who is this really serving because it's definitely not goob um the last sentence also has a nice little gag of like this contract is binding in perpetuity throughout the throughout the known universe is like the last final words and it's like "Ah, that's funny um at this point in the future wilbur turns to dust at a very um i don't feel so good cap you know (laughs) yeah yeah basically (laughs) basically just he poops out of existence uh, and the future begins to change the house uh begins to shut down and as lewis rushes into the garage he doesn't find anyone just sees a video of the meeting where bowler hat guy signed the contract um he also presented a second idea at this meeting the helping hats 
which was mm-hmm. at Doris's suggestion. And uh, after their mass production, the hats have gone on to take over the world, uh, controlling people the same way they did that scientist in the flashback. And despite Bowler Hat Man's uh, protests, Doris has now achieved world domination. The rest of the Robinsons, now mind-controlled, try to catch Lewis, uh, so he hides inside the time machine, and as they crowd around him, he hotwires it and finally gets it working and flies the machine out of the house through the now-dystopic, hat-controlled future. Yeah. Quite an aesthetic. I don't it's know something. if I would necessarily choose. Yeah, it's it's something. It's you have directly to contrast to the like bright and colorful, yeah, you it's know... Like- very polluted and and dark and a lot of domes because everything is modeled off of like the bowler bowler hat hat. like look yeah so that was one of my favorite bits when the frogs that were spotted and it's like perfect fancily dressed frogs because of all the convenient bowler hat i'm like great good bowler hat content in this movie too um Uh uh lewis gets trapped in a tunnel big hat doris doris has become like a giant behemoth uh, robot hat at this point. She's like this it's, it's massive, like, the, the, mega, like, like an elder brain situation. Either Doris is like a hive mind, or like this is just a big Doris or some shit mm-hmm. like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's on one end, and the other end is hundreds and hundreds of little bowler hats. Uh, and he curses the idea of ever inventing the stupid hat, which then gives him a different thought, and he travels back in time. He arrives at the meeting as Goob signs the papers to okay his invention going away and warns Goob that Doris is evil and using him. And as Doris immediately turns on Lewis and starts to go to like click clack her little scissor arms and and hurt him, he says out loud that he is never going to invent her and immediately she turns to dust. Um, It's good stuff, I guess. Yeah, again, it kind of like, it's again, like in a lot of time travel movies, the moment you start to think of it too long, it, it, it kind of starts to fall apart. But no, nah, like, it's a it's a nice resolution in a way to kind of like defeat really who the, the one actual villain of this movie. So yeah, it works out. Um, yeah. He picks up Goob and shows him the dystopic future just as it begins to turn back to the good one. The hat was defeated after all. Uh, Wilbur reappears and goes right to fight Bowler Hat Guy, but Lewis explains that, uh, you know, this is actually my old roommate. He's like, a, he's he's not that bad. Um, mm-hmm. And as they're doing the little huddled whisper conversation, Lewis convinces Wilbur that the Robinson should adopt Goob. But when they turn around, Goob has already disappeared, leaving only his unicorn binder with a question mark on what he's going to do next. Uh, very, like, future is his so kind of scenario. so sad. He's like, he understands... Like, the movie kind of, like, starts to tease this redemption of Mike Yagubian, but also at the same time, Goob realizes that he's done, like, too much damage to try and interpose himself in the Robinson family, and so he's just kind of, like, he is, he's, like, decided to just kind of, like, try and figure out his future on his own, which, like, good for him and all, but it's also really sad. He just, like, the last shot of him is just kind of, like, wantonly, like, walking away, um, like, in, 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 like, his very shabby you know, kind of neutral tone design is in stark contrast. I don't know why I'm talking about shot composition and, and like design choice of, of fucking Major Robinson. I just like this movie a lot. Um, That's what we're here for, right? That's the point of the podcast is to talk about this. Stuff. I also, I also like the, I also like the moment that Lewis figures out that he's Wilbur's dad. He immediately starts pulling that card like every single oh, moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, go to your room, kid. 
Um, like in the argument to try and like convince Go uh, Wilbur to ask Goob to join the Robinsons, he's like, I need to remind you, I'm your father and you have to do what I say. Like you have no pull here, but you're doing it anyway. And I respect mm -hmm. that. Uh, Goob watches from the bushes and turns to leave, heading into his mysterious future. Uh, Lewis is fussed over by the Robinsons when Cornelius comes home. <laughs> and this is, this is Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck is uh, voicing Cornelius, yeah. which is why the joke earlier was Tom Selleck and not any other random celebrity, See, the but joke, still. The joke works so well because it happens on, it works on some, there's like the visual gag of just like Tom Selleck's realistic face amongst all the cartoon people. <laughs> there's the in-story reason of like Wilbur not wanting to lead on to the fact that Lewis, uh, that Lewis is his father. So he just, so he proposes someone who visually looks different. And then there's the out of universe reason where it's like, yeah, Tom Selleck voices Cornelius. So it, it, it makes sense. It's, it's a, I, love, I fucking love this movie. Fuck. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, he has the exact same hair as young Lewis. So you're like, oh, that's why it would have been a dead giveaway. It's because they look I the also, same. So Lewis throughout this movie, Lewis um, isn't necessarily shown to be wearing the same outfit, like like in the in the montage where he's building the memory scanner, is, uh, especially like he it shows that he has different outfits. Mm -hmm. But the one that he wears for this movie is like a blue sweater vest with red shorts. And then when we meet Cornelius, he's like in maroon pants with a blue sweater. And I'm like, <laughs> if we're being honest, another thing that stuck with me is uh, like the appreciation that Lewis found a style that stick, and he just stuck <laughs> with it. Um, I, 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 I'm called noir because I, I called myself noir because I, I wear a lot of black clothing and it's something that I have done and continue to do, uh, since the sixth grade. So <laughs> I respect it. It's a, it's, you know, everyone needs to have their thing, right? This is, yeah. Why not this? Um, yeah. Cornelius shows Lewis his lab full of future inventions and he's just in all of this big domed space that he's going to someday get to fill. But the one that he's most proud of is his memory machine, the first invention yeah. he ever really made. And uh, Cornelius tells Lewis that he needs to go back to the science fair and, you know, live his life for himself, make his choices. And when Lewis asks if they ever meet their mom, uh, Cornelius is like, you'll have to find that out for yourself. Uh, so he's still some mysteries left to unravel. Um, Cornelius, Cornelius also makes a decent point which I feel is kind of like undermined by how the rest, how, like what the movie has been doing so far. Like mm -hmm. Lewis asks, it's like, so like I'm going to get this great family and I'm going to have this great future. And Cornelius is like, well, not quite. The future isn't set in stone. You still have to make like all the right choices and stuff. But like, mm -hmm. I know you will because you're a good kid. But then like, it kind of brings into question that one scene where Lewis is like, I'm never going to invent you. Yeah. And then Doris just like disappears forever. And you you could make the argument that like Lewis does legitimately like remember that he will never invent Doris again, but also like, I don't know. No, it but definitely, yeah. the sci-fi like, yeah, like, no yeah. time travel movie does a great job with this really. There's, there's no one yeah. good answer because time travel is not a thing that really exists, but. The, like... the other thing is like, you, you people make arguments of like, oh, it's like a parallel timeline or something like that. But no, it's clear that there's only one timeline that Lewis keeps jumping back and forth to because there is like the dark, dystopic, uh, polluted timeline, which then gets restored mm -hmm. by like bubbles into the original timeline. And like Wilbur and the rest of the Robinsons come back. And like, it, it's clear to Wilbur that like he, like Wilbur knew that he got got, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and And so then like, 
No, yeah. Time travel's it, weird. Time travel's weird. Yeah. It's like, well, why didn't you just go back to the point where, like, Cornelius invented the hat and just tell him not to do it? And, like, because then yeah. that play into it. But if you think too hard about the time travel parts of this movie, you're, you're not paying attention to the parts that are yeah. really the movie. Um, yeah, yeah. The Robinsons wish Lewis so long, and he gets a few parting words of wisdom from his parents and future wife. Uh, and then Wilbur and Lewis return to the past, way in the past. It's sepia-toned once again. Uh, oh. Wilbur has taken him to the night his mom left Lewis at the orphanage. Lewis watches the opening scene of the movie, sees his mom uh, walking towards the door, and he gets out of the time machine and kind of walks towards her, uh, reaching out for her back, but stopping just short, deciding not to actually reach out to her after all. And uh, after making a noise that startles her, he hides and... She leaves him at the door just as it was in the beginning. We find out that he is the one who knocked on the door this time to like get him, yeah, cause, let cause Mildred know to go pick him up. Off on him. Yeah, yeah. I like that bit of continuity because like you hear the sound, you hear like the slipping sound um, mm -hmm. at the beginning of the movie as well uh, that Lewis did, but you don't know that it's Lewis, obviously. So. Yeah, I mean, again, it gets into like the time travel rules of it all. It's like, did this always but, have yeah. to happen? But like, you just don't think yeah. too hard. <laughs> yeah. Um. The rest plays out just like before, and then they eventually go back to Lewis's present. Wilbur asks why he let his mom go, and Lewis said that it's because he already has a family. He's like, oh, no, I've got Aww. family. It's very sweet. Wilbur and Lewis hug. Wilbur leaves, and Lewis goes back to the science fair, making a quick pit stop to wake up Goob in the field so that he catches the game-winning catch. The redemption the of Mike redemption for Goob. <laughs> I love it. I, 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 that was a, that's another detail that I really liked. Cause like, I don't know. He could have, he, he very well could have just like left him alone, mm -hmm. but like, it's clear that like, you never get the sense that Lewis like despises or doesn't like goob. No. It's just clear that he's so like, he's so tunnel visioned that he doesn't, he, he it kind of tends to be like, uh, he kind of like neglects the people around him, mm -hmm. um, which like, yeah, I've been there, buddy. Uh, I've been, like, focused on In the on same so way that, thing. like, Goob is so single-mindedly focused on his baseball yeah. game, you know, Lewis was very single-mindedly focused on his adventure in the beginning, and so it's a nice but moment I, of him being like, yeah. I'm aware of the world I exist in, to yeah. give yeah. a little hand all about Goob. To give the redemption of Mike Yagoobian. We love <laughs> to see it. Everyone cheers for Goob. He caught the game-winning catch. He's going to be having a great mm -hmm. time now. Um, we go back to the science fair as it's being cleaned up. He didn't go back in time to before he presented his invention the first way. He went back in time to after the fair had happened. But people are still mm -hmm. milling about. Um, Lewis begs for a second chance to present. And the doctor is like, oh, you know, this is still, I'm, I'm still here. My ride's not here for a while. Let's, go ahead. Let's, let, why don't you try and see one of my memories? So he puts the helmet on her and she whispers a date in his ear and he fires it up. And this time it works. And we see her getting ready for her wedding. We hear her dad call her Lucille. Hold up. And we see her husband at the top of the altar. Well, we see the back of his head with a face drawn onto it. It's grandpa. <gasps> um, it's Bud. Bud and Lucille compliment Lewis and his invention as uh, it's clear that they're very excited to have met him. Uh, a young Franny catches her frog Frankie as it's running around the gym escaping. Uh, and Lewis compliments her frogs, so that's the beginning of potentially him meeting his future wife. Um, Lewis is interviewed for the paper, and we see all the future Robinsons sort of like gathered around him in a way. Um, and we kind of montage it to bring us out. Lewis is adopted the, by uh, this Lucille is my and favorite Bud. montage. <laughs> 
this is my favorite montage the fucking song at the end little oh, wonders yeah. uh it makes me cry every time <laughs> it's, it's like such a nice way to end this movie oh uh, Lewis is adopted, as is Goob, as he has many yeah. good stories yeah. to tell about his Little League trophy now. He's like, he has it, and he's yeah. just like, yeah. Uh, we love to see it. The uh, Lucille, Bud, and Lewis head off to start their new life. They buy the old estate that will become the Robinsons' house, and Lewis gets his dome lab room. It was an observatory. They bought an observatory. Where can I buy an observatory? <laughs> I want to live in an observatory. That sounds like the dopest shit ever. I I think I think uh, at one point a couple years ago, I looked up like, are there observatories? For you need sale? like a lighthouse keeper job for an observatory is what you need. Something like Something that. Something like live th in. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's clear. It's like. The, the observatory that we see in the past is not like the full Robinson estate, mm -hmm. which if you, which is in the shape of an R. Like there are two long wings and it's just and it, it makes the shape of an R. But it's clear that like Lewis like builds on the observatory and it's like this really cool like, ah, it, it's, yeah. it's clear he has so much ahead of him mm -hmm. kind of moment. Uh, Lewis keeps inventing, filling his lab as he goes. We see, you know, more and more notes and more and more tables and devices pop up. And uh, we get a little blurb at the end credits about continuing to move forward. It's Walt Disney quotes, still a Disney movie. Uh, yeah. And Shade to Black credits. Mm -hmm. Saw the Tom Selleck voice Cornelius in the credits at this point. And I was like, ah, okay, I get the gag now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Learned I could not clock Tom Selleck's voice just by hearing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I didn't, I didn't get the joke when I watched it when I was a kid, but I just remember laughing at like, it's my favorite joke Tom of the Selleck movie, face. pretty hands down. It's, yeah. it's a really good joke. They got, there are some really solid jokes in here. Like, and again, like I, there, there are times when I really was like impressed by how much work they put into the animation. Like anytime Carl, um, is in the scene, like there's just a very fluid way that he moves and mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's like, it's like one step removed from like him being a rubber hosed kind of character which like for literally like your second foray into cg cg animation like that's that's yeah. really impressive that's super cool no they yeah. do a good job they're not doing like crazy complicated textures yeah. but everyone moves smoothly like it feels like they've mm -hmm. had a very firm understanding of the limitations of the technology they had and rather than trying yeah. to like expand beyond that they just tried to make the best thing they could within those limitations and i think that's why it looks as good as it does these yeah. many years later carl in particular though is like probably the best animation mm -hmm. um but that's meet the robinsons a favorite yeah. of noir <laughs> yeah it's my favorite movie yeah. i like it a lot it 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 i think it was the movie that kind of inspired it was the movie that i watched and when i was young it was, i was like i want to be an inventor when i grow up and then eventually that matured into like wanting to get into engineering mm. and that's this is this is the movie that among other things like inspired me to like look into science and and choose the career that i have so yeah i'm glad that your childhood yeah. movie had a much bigger influence on your career path than i i'm not a race car driver so i <laughs> i'm neither a race car driver nor a robot i feel like both of these could have been. one day <laughs> one day um but no i i had a lot more fun with this than i thought i was going to you know it's i don't have the nostalgia for it that you have so i think yeah. there's the part of me that's like oh, i'm probably not going to seek this movie out too frequently or really mm -hmm. probably you know of my own volition but i had a very fun time watching it i was surprised how many of the jokes still landed for me as an adult um sometimes you get this phenomenon with movies that are made for kids where 
the jokes don't always land as well when you revisit right. them years later. But I think this is one where they did a good job of just putting in humor that was kind of for the animators and as a result for the adults yeah. in the audience. And it, it still plays really well. And I think that they've got a very charming vid. Like the best parts of this movie are when they're in the future and you get to see all that charming, mm-hmm. you know, Joyce tech kind of look, yeah. all the yeah. circles and Absolutely. the aesthetics and that hopeful vision of the future. It, it's very fun to live in that world for a little bit. So um, mm-hmm. well, I don't think it's my like, strongest through line of a plot overall i think they do they they go to basics really well and it, it still ends up being a fun watch so i think it's i think it's still worth a watch i guess to kind of like final yeah. questions it a bit here like would you recommend people watch this movie i think maybe they might have an inclination of the answer based on how we open this podcast but no nah, you can skip it no yeah <laughs> like i i would recommend it on the sole fact that this is my favorite movie and i will <laughs> i will i will always leap at the opportunity to shove it in people's faces but yeah no like is it the cleanest, most, uh, like, is, is the cleanest, most sensible plot? No. Is it, like, a really, is it, like, a, a really high echelon story? No. But it's a still, like, a solid story that's being told, and it's like, I feel like it's executed really well. Mm-hmm. And, like you said, a lot of the jokes still stand up. Um, yeah. And it's got a very, like, I, heartwarming core to it. Yeah. Like, there's, yeah. there's a certain part of watching it, I'm like, oh, you know, I think why this works so well for me is, like, not only are the jokes landing and the animation's clean, but, like, there's a real heart to it. There's a little, there's a little yeah. soul at the center of it all, and it's very heartwarming to like see this this boy's story and his found family yeah. play out. So, yeah, no, it's it's worth the watch. Um, mm-hmm. Noir, thank you so much for coming back. Our first episode of 2024. We're we're entering the future, much like you would with a time machine or two. Uh, cool. <laughs> hopefully, no bowler hats in it for either of us. But uh, mm-hmm. if our listeners want to hear more from you, where can they find you? Uh, well, uh, I am part of a podcast with some people you might know uh, called Rolling with Difficulty. It's a D&D actual play. I play uh, a robot who deals with memory issues. <laughs> Hold on a second. Mm, the, the pieces yeah. I'm calling. Oh, my God. I do races. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We are. Our past selves make manifest. Uh, we can <laughs> I really like the 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 saying like the source code of people's identities like mm-hmm. meet the robins is definitely there and, and I, <laughs> I, I i make that very blatant but yeah no i play a i play a, a robot wizard cleric if you want to hear more um check that out hell yeah well thank you so much for joining us again noir um my uh child from the future has materialized in my apartment and i sense that ziggy has gained some new headwear so i think i have to go deal with whatever the ramifications of these actions are going to be we'll be back in two weeks another episode thank you guys so so much for listening and uh yeah we'll catch you next time keep moving forward keep moving forward thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of movie struck We'll be back on January 22nd with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then or have any questions, comments, or concerns for the podcast, feel free to email us at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us or leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron for even more exclusive content like patron-selected monthly movie reviews. We've also got a Discord server where you can chat with other fans of Moviestruck and just movies in general. And again, thank you to our guest Noir for popping on again and kicking off the new year with a fun, forward-looking film. Uh, Now that we're here at the end of the spiel, I'd like to give a very, very extra special thank you to the patrons who joined us last month in December. It's because of you guys and everyone else over on Patreon that I'm able to keep the show going and keep the lights on. Uh, Keep Ziggy, who is a frequent guest, uh, in her good cat food. So extra special thank you to B 
Drakendrea, and Kay, as well as everyone else over on Patreon. <laughs>